0: You're listening to Influx Collective, the podcast, Walking Amongst the Rubble, Undocu Queer Pride.
1: I'm learning to let my soul, uh fall apart. I take pride in being a survivor.
0: I hate the American dream. <laughs> my name is Corey Brappy rudd and I'm one of your co-hosts. And I'm your other host, Diana Gutierrez. We started as a queer poetry reading series, uh, but basically our mission is to connect LA-based poets, promote queer events, and provide a space and a platform for queer creators and queer content. And Influx is a place for audience members to hear stories that reflect their own and for performers to find an audience that understands. Support of programming at Patreon.
2: Uh, we are at patreon.com slash Collective without an E. Today we have the pleasure of introducing Roxana Preciado. She's an indie author and artist recognized for her work as a poet and activist. At the age of 12, Roxana started writing poetry as a coping mechanism to deal with her life challenges. She she shares her stories with others in hope that she can help anyone who's facing similar hardships. Also, They've published four volumes of autographical poetry, most recent being Trauma for Sale. She continues to use her poetry and her story to support community engagement and activism to raise awareness about violence against women. She's gonna start the interview by reading her preface from her new book, Trauma for Sale.
1: This is the preface to my last book, Trauma for Sale. This is the whole and their parts. I am responsible for telling my truth. I cannot hide behind my accomplishments and still future fails and achievements to come. I have to tell my whole truth. I do not want to tell an incomplete story. This is not brave or fair to others who have survived similar struggles and see me thriving. I am scared, but I want to be brave. I will never be a coward. In this book, I include personal photographs and some of my artwork to aid me in telling my whole truth. I want to be free. I want to be honest the past summer of 2019 I spend in recovery trying my best to heal yet again healing is a lifelong process and I am no exception to this sometimes I am thriving while other times I fall apart just like any other no one is above their flawed humanity yet I can never be completely healed the trauma I endured is not easily mended however it gets better I want to share the pieces of me that I fear most, the naked truth of the trauma that haunts me. Here is a quick glance at what got me here. At age 12, I started writing poetry as a coping mechanism to deal with my life's challenges. I grew up in a family where my mother was often cold and distant. She was more of a guardian than an actual parent to me. I also had a stepfather and was the eldest of four siblings. Me being the only stepchild to my stepfather. Needless to say, I was the black sheep of the family. Growing up, I had endured many trials and tribulations. I suffered from mental, physical, and sexual abuse from those who were supposed to love and protect me the most. I found myself self-medicating with drugs and alcohol. By the age of 15, I was a drug addict. It was at 16 when I told my mother I was gay. Instead of the warm and accepting embrace I was hoping for, My mother asked me to leave her home. I felt heartbroken and afraid. I had to figure out how I was going to survive on my own because I didn't have the help of my family. I was afraid to seek help from agencies and outsiders. I did not want to be put into the foster care system or even worse for them to find out I was undocumented. I immigrated to this country at the age of four in 1989 and did not become a legal resident until 2015. I had to quickly come to terms with my limitations. I was underage, gay, undocumented, homeless, and a drug addict. Life was anything but easy for me. I battled with depression most of my life and had attempted suicide three times by the age of 18. I came very close to succeeding one of those times. Still, I somehow found strength and motivation even in the midst of my despair. Writing was the light at the end of the tunnel for me and my only means of survival at that time. I have been diagnosed, misdiagnosed, and tried a variety of different forms of treatment. Unfortunately, none of these methods could cure me of my condition. I have greatly healed and coped with my demons through the use of writing, therapy, and painting. It is in my poetry that I have been able to record my story. It has been one of tragedy, endurance, and harsh realities. Through all odds, I call myself today a survivor. I have succeeded. I stopped doing drugs at the age of 19 and made the decision that my past circumstances would not dictate my future. I worked hard to save money for my education and I am now completing my third year of graduate school. I am completing my master's degree in May of 2020. I am married to an amazing woman and we have a beautiful child together. They represent everything I ever wanted in a family. When I look back at the girl I used to be, it is hard to believe we are the same person. I am not ashamed of my past. Instead, I celebrate my beginnings because they have made me who I am today. My story is detailed in my poetry throughout my first book, Not a Fairy Tale. I opened up and shared my story with others because it is my hope that I can help anyone who is facing similar hardships. After, after I came out of the shadows and openly spoke about what I went through as a human being, I found that there are so many people who have gone through similar obstacles. Hearing their stories of resilience moved me and inspired me. It reminded me that I am not alone like me. There are many who have stories that need to be told power from visibility. Our stories have value. They need to be heard. Finding myself amongst others like me gave me the strength to write my second book, Not a Writer, where I discuss my then reality. Since then, I have not only grown older, I have evolved. My evolution produced my third book, Hood Educated, where I discuss my many parts of me and the whole that is me. But healing is is a lifelong process, a true privilege. My biggest privilege to date, a privilege that brought me to my fourth book, Trauma for Sale, where I share the rest of my story. Aiding me and sharing my whole truth are personal photographs and artwork I created. This is my most personal book to date. I have learned so much and healed through therapy and writing, yet one thing remains the same. I continue to have hope, Hope that that through telling my story, others will be reminded that they are not alone. You are not alone. No matter what your beginnings are, they do not define you. You decide who and what you are. I am still scared about speaking out, about telling my truth, my story. However, if I wanna help others, I must be brave. Being brave does not mean I am not afraid. It means I am afraid and I do it anyway. I will continue to help others find their own strength so they too may heal. To those struggling with your own obstacles, I would like to say to you. You will survive. You will succeed. You will be loved and you are worth fighting for. I hope my story reaches those who need it and to all others. Thank you for reading part of my story. Now for the whole and their parts, here is my trauma for sale.
2: Thank you so much for sharing um, your preface. I, I personally read that preface and was just so astounded by the complexity of strength and vulnerability in your own story as an undocumented, formerly undocumented person myself. I felt so validated by your story and also just advocated for. I think that often, especially in the political organizing realm of undocumented activists, we want to remain strong and we want to hold up a facade of being this like warrior But we are constantly struggling and we are constantly like looking for answers when we're evolving. And I think that in your work, Trauma for Sale, and um, in the other work that I read, Not a Writer, you managed to like speak about your truth very authentically. And I really admired that. I felt like I was reading from like a big sister and I felt really, really comforted. So thank you so much for writing this.
1: Thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. Writing these books has not always been it's never easy. It's always a roller coaster of emotion and uh uh it takes a lot of a uh, strength and emotional like energy and it takes a toll on my mental health because it's um over and over um opening of wounds in order to help others because I never saw uh, growing up, you know, um, I never saw people like me speaking. This was a different time. And I always thought it is what I'm what what I'm attempting to do. Finish college, get my degree, do this, do that. Come back to the community, help. Is that even possible? And the feedback I was getting from those around me was no. That's why I titled my second book, Not a Writer, because of the amounts of criticism I was getting from the people around me, oh, you're still working at a fast food joint, making burgers, cleaning toilets. Like you're so ridiculous. Oh, did you wrote a book? Oh my God, it's hilarious. it was a joke. It was a joke. And so to think that that um, what I was attempting, I thought was not likely or impossible. Um, I really wished I would have heard from other people. I'm not the only one or the first one by any means. I just wish that. Um, people would, it's so difficult. I know why they don't. I'm not judging them. I just, I get it. I get it that it's painful, but we need to tell our stories in order to show the younger generations that this is possible, that if we can accomplish this with the amounts of limitations that we've had, that they can surpass our accomplishments. And that's the point of these telling your stories. Um, So thank you so much for saying that.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today. I I really appreciate what you've written and thank you so much for putting it out there in the world and being just brave enough to do it in my body I've also felt just the amount of pain it is to talk about these issues and so you did it and that's amazing so we have a couple of questions for you But first of all, I'd like to we'd like to check in just because like in addition to being uh, a podcast, we also want to just like communicate to you as if this was like a coffee conversation amongst friends. Um, So, yeah. How has your week been? Uh, How is your life in the pandemic going right now? How are you? Um,
1: The pandemic has been... um a roller coaster for everyone. Um for me it caught me right as I was finishing my graduate program. Um it you know my life completely stopped. It was supposed to be uh you know in my mind the beginning of this new life that I worked so hard for and right as I'm finally you know feeling like I'm going to reap some of the rewards of my hard work the pandemic hits and my life is stops. I don't get to walk the stage. No one in my family has a master's degree. I'm the only one. Um, I don't speak to any of them, but from what I've heard from two cousins that I speak to, um, you know, none of that has happened. And it was, um, to me, it was such a big deal. Thought about my grandfather and how proud he would be of our family um, because I was graduating on, and I didn't get to walk the stage. Um, fortunately, I... I finished my third book, Trauma for Sale, during the pandemic, <laughs> and um, I decided right then and there that I would be honest. Originally, Trauma for Sale was not supposed to be this revealing, but I, because things were so uncertain, I thought, "Well, I'm leaving an incomplete story, and that means that I'm not telling my whole truth, and in a way, that's um, that's like that's a lie, and I don't want to leave behind a lie." even if, if it looks shiny. So I wanted to be honest and I just opened up about everything. And um, I'm proud of what I did. I'm proud of this book. And I, I fear sometimes that I'm not done, um, you know, encountering some of possible consequences from coming out as you know so much if anybody like read this or looked it up you know my gender identity um, issues come out and uh, my long-term sexuality issues my body issues Because I consider myself part of the trans community, and um, it's just so much of it. uh, My relationship, my marriage with my wife—I, I—we had many, many talks where we finally together decided that okay, I would even open up about my marriage and everything. Um, It was just a lot, and I just thought, in case, as silly as it seems now that I'm at this point, I thought, in case I'm gone, what am I leaving behind? And um, I wanted to leave me, the truth. And that's what this book was about. So I finished this book and I got a job working for Casa de la Familia, which I love, love working there. It is, I've been working there since July, uh, late July, 2020. I got hired straight out of school. Um, Uh, Dr. Ana Nogales is my supervisor and she's this tremendous Latina woman who's so wise and not just because of her experience as a clinician, but just as a human being, I learned so much from her and I'm so lucky to have a woman, you know, unofficially mentoring me through all of this and advising me. And, um, I just feel so lucky. And, um, you know, the population we work with in Casa de la Familia, it's um, victims of violent crimes primarily. So domestic violence, survivors, uh, rape survivors, child abuse, et cetera, et cetera, uh, human trafficking. So really tough subjects. Of course, we have other stuff, but really tough cases. And I love it. I feel like I'm finally working with the communities uh, is primarily Latinos. I'm, I feel like I'm finally working and doing work that's very meaningful and it's exactly what I wanted to do. So I feel in disbelief because they pay me to do something that I would do for free. That's
2: so great. Wow. Your strength is very much like resonating. And it, I, I imagine that this building of this just this person that you are at this moment at some points felt really tough because uh, I I think there was like a part in uh, one of your books that I read that even if you're afraid, you're doing stuff anyway. Like you jump into it anyway. And I really admired that. I'm wondering in when you, like when you developed your voice, what was the, the, the road to finding your voice like for you? Um, Wow. Well, when I wrote not a fairy tale,
1: um, that was taken out of my childhood journals. And so as you read it, you will notice it's coming from the mind and lips of this severely, uh, you know, traumatized child who was living in a home where she was being sexually, verbally, and physically abused by, by her stepfather. And, um, Her mother, her, we know my mother was just uh, verbally, physically abusing me. But, um, you know, that came from that time in my life. And it's all in chronological order. And so I didn't really have to find my voice, it felt just um, sharing my story. Then, um, not a writer, I started to go to therapy and I was working on some issues, and so much came out. And that's not a writer. So many issues came out. You see things just um, being so black and white, being so um, just hurting, anger, uh, almost like I was going through the grieving process of grieving my own trauma because healing is a privilege and I was too busy surviving, having two, three jobs, trying to get, trying to make sure I never become homeless again, having no family or friends to depend on. So I was busy just surviving. I didn't have time to sit back and reflect on what I had gone through. And that was not a writer for the first time thinking, Oh, what, why did that all happen to me? Why, you know, just questioning why. And again, grieving my past, then hood educated. I had um, began to heal and moved, move forward. And um, that was the beginning of who I am now. And, that's, I think, when I finally found my voice, when, when it felt like the whole hurricane, all everything started to finally calm and settle on the floor. And um, I started to just heal and share my healing journey with others. And that's when I found my voice. And I'm constantly scared. Every time I write, I, um, I cry a lot. I can't sleep. I make extra appointments with my therapist. I it's like, it's um, it takes a toll emotionally, but I keep reminding myself how badly I wanted to hear somebody like me say that that I wasn't alone and that it was possible. So I just do it, and uh, and it is like a compulsion. I don't stop until I'm finished and until it feels finished. Um, it's almost like when I paint. Um, sometimes I keep messing with something and, um, redo it again and, um, wet it and take off all the paint and do it again. And sometimes it's very simple and it feels done and I never touch it again. And that's the same with my books. I finish when I feel that it's done. And this book is 334 pages. So 334, it took me a while for me to feel like it was done. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I really resonate with the compulsion and also with the way that healing is very nonlinear. And so there is no um, order of there. Sometimes it feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, especially when you're in that grieving phase, personally speaking, like I haven't seen my brother for almost 20 years now, ever since we migrated from Peru. And I, I, you know, within those 20 years now, I'm, I mean, now I'm a resident, but within those 20 years, sometimes it felt like time would not, like, move forward. But yeah, that that drive that you have to hear someone that wants to help and just like you were searching that and you wanting to provide that to um, someone who <clears throat> isn't documented any younger that's really fascinating and really um, admirable, but yeah, it's 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 a process. Um, I also like to highlight to the audience members that healing is very nonlinear.
0: I I could have a follow-up question to that, I think. I'm curious because based on this and something I've heard you say before was improvement and never perfection. I really was drawn to that statement. And I know you've talked a little bit about that again today. But yeah, I just kind of wanted to hear a little bit more about what that meant, what that means to you.
1: That's, thank you for asking me that. That's something that um, is very important to me um, I feel, and I, and I tell my clients the same thing. The goal is improvement. The, the goal is to be better, but never perfect because perfection does not exist. And you are setting yourself up for failure. That's the first part. Number two, with someone like me, this isn't in relation to my clients. This is specific to me with someone with my level of complex, um, high trauma of multitude, right? I've been uh, sexually assaulted, not just, uh, you know, not just sexually abused as a child since age eight, but, um, you know, I was living in the streets from age uh, 16 to, um, I want to say the last time I was homeless was 19. So just to be on and off and never stable, of course, I'm going to encounter a lot of violence in the streets and uh, you know adults or people I trusted trying to take advantage and you know um, uh, with someone with that level of um, of trauma, I know that i'll never be completely healed, so to me that's never the goal to achieve some sort of um i don't know normal and I hate that word because what's normal to one person is not isn't necessarily normal to the next so to 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 reach this sort of typical level of, of healing. Um, I just always keep, keep working on myself and it will never stop. It'll be until I, for the rest of my life. And that's why I say healing is a lifelong process. And as long as I keep improving, I'm doing great. And that's my only goal.
0: I wonder, do you think, cause the, when you're talking about you're writing, a lot of times it, it seems like it's coming from a a place that it, there's a lot of pain there and it's really difficult to get, um, the, the language on the page or, or to have to recount these things that are so violent and traumatic and and difficult. Do you think there's going to be a point where writing becomes something a little bit different for you? Or do you think it's always going to have that kind of like really intense, um, um, pain attached to it?
1: Um, I've always been a very intense person, even as a child, (laughs) maybe it's part of my personality, but, um, I'm, I want to, I've thought about writing, uh, children's books because my son really wanted me to write one. And that won't be <laughs> like that, I guess, um, you know, having, uh, two mommies and, you know, the adventures of my son with us and things like that. Um, so that's something that I've been kind of, once I have an idea in my mind, I almost rarely, I rarely don't do it. Once I have it in my mind, this is how I'm, I'm a survivor. And I, I, I don't know. I just I go for it. And I just think to myself, the worst thing that can happen is that I failed, which means I'll be still sitting exactly where I am, which is the mentality that's gotten me this far. Everything. The reason I started writing books, um, you know, I wanted to tell everybody about my story. I wanted to tell my friends. It was only supposed to be between our my friends. I said, what a what a neat way to just give you a book. And, you know, my friends could just read it fast and it and it'll be um quicker that way to tell them about who I am once I became a legal resident and wanted to come out.
0: That's, um, that was cool that you mentioned your, your son too, because I actually had a, one of my questions that I had written down that I wanted to talk to you about was that I was brought, I was raised in a queer family. And so that was one of the things that I was excited to kind of talk to you about. And I know that you're in a queer family too. And yeah, so I guess I just wanted to ask you a little bit about if that has changed any of your perceptions on like queerness or just um on any of your identities and basically if you could just talk a little bit about um being a parent too
1: yeah um I can't speak for all mothers but for me it was uh Quite a transition from being so deep in the culture of just, you know, gay, lesbian, queer. Just the, it's, we have, you know, our own culture, as you know. And so it was surreal to me to go from that to, Now I'm a mother and I, you know, at first tried really hard to do the cookie baking, what I imagined a mother was, right? I was trying so hard to be this perfect mother, never try to be perfect. It's a setup, but I was, you know, trying so hard to be this perfect mother because I planned my son and my wife and I really, really wanted to have a family and, um, I was determined to do it great, um lost a lot of my identity through the process. And then finally realized after, you know, working on myself, like always, um, I don't have to be some mother figure that does not exist. I have to be his mother. That's it. And whatever that looks like is our relationship between him and I and nobody else. It doesn't matter what, I oh, how other people practice being a parent. Um, my relationship with my son is our own, and that is being a mother to
0: me. This podcast is brought to you by the City of West Hollywood's One City, One Pride LGBTQ Arts Festival. Each year, the city of West Hollywood celebrates Pride with its One City, One Pride LGBT Arts Festival, which runs from Harvey Milk Day, May 22nd, through the end of June Pride Month.
1: This is graduated from a coke addict, 2016, as my life began to change and get better. They, them, they, they. They said to me, you will fail. Girls like you don't make it out of the hood. Okay. Today I am not just alive, but living. My smile is genuine. I am no longer lying for them. My authentic self, just me. I am finally free. A sigh of relief. fuck all those who plotted against me at the age of 16 the whole world gave up on me they doubted me they drove me to madness delusional they made me believing i can do things others fear and don't attempt statistics i laugh at them a life constructed with a series of obstacles a video game with no instructions on how to play you learn to appreciate the simplest of things when you have lost Everything, 16 year old homeless addict. I was shown the door and told there's no gays in my family. They said I was a failure. I failed to kill myself. Turns out they were right. I am a failure because I survived. with no family or a home. I alone, brick by brick, raw, sweaty palms, all the while fighting my inner thoughts. I pushed, I shoved until one day I had more than a shelter. I build myself a home. Undocumented, imported goods. I was raised in the hood. Ghetto girl, washed up, used up. There's no hope for a stripper addict. Flash forward to today, bachelor's degree in hand, now graduate school. Not bad for a coke addict. Despite what they all thought about me, said about me, attempted to break all about me. I pushed, I shoved, I cried, and fought my way up until one day I was able to breathe again, feel good again, forgive, and let go of all of them. Because today, I no longer have to survive. Today, I am healed. I am whole. No more secrets. Naked tongue, I can finally speak to them, say to them. Thank you for doubting me. Your doubt fueled me. I am thriving. You underestimated me. You were all so fucking wrong
2: about me. You've been listening to Influx Collective, the podcast. I realized when I was reading your poems, I saw that there was a lot of affirmations. Moments where you were saying, like, I'm so much more. I'm grown. What is that? What did that feel like embodying those affirmations when you were writing them down?
1: Um, When I write something, that's because that's my new, I almost feel like I'm not just growing older, I'm evolving. And so every single time that I write something out, it's me writing down the next step that I just that I just went through the next. piece of my identity that just um molded a little bit different shifted a little bit different expanded or uh parts of my personality that have now been settled and no longer have use and then i just push them to the background like self-destructive. Um, that's something that I've struggled um, throughout my life, being very self-destructive, and um, that's something that's beginning to lose its. It, it doesn't serve any purpose in my life anymore. It was a coping mechanism once upon a time. So, some a lot of people that come from trauma, some of them, you know, um, you know, share their frustrations and things like that outwardly, um, and some of them direct all that anger inwardly. And I'm one of those people. Um, so it, you know, that's beginning to calm and, and be put into the background as I move forward with these new pieces of me. And sometimes I sit here and as I'm writing uh, these pieces, like the positive affirmations, I feel it, it feels so good. And it feels so natural. Like, like I just found the perfect cozy sweater and it fits me, and it's mine. That's how that feels. And it really does feel like that, because that is me. I'm just not like that all the time. Sometimes I'm like this, like today is one of those, you caught me on a very calm day.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I personally go through those as well. Just like some days it's like, oh, I need to run a marathon. And then some days it's like, okay, I could sit down and have some tea. And especially, did you feel like, when you were healing or, or when you are healing, do you feel because I question like, OK, when I'm healing, do I is it bad that I'm s- stopping being so intense or do you just like embrace the calmness? Oh, absolutely.
1: Oh, absolutely. And if uh, Diana, you mentioned, you know, you have your own um Struggles in your life um, when you're used to so much chaos all around you. That's your normal state. You're used to constantly being on 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 guard, survival mode, and um, always just aware and um, hyper aware. So when my life started becoming so beautiful, because it is quite beautiful now, I'm so lucky. Um, it was uncomfortable it gave me even more anxiety. I always joked with my wife and told her, I'd rather have someone break right in front of me with their car or come running towards me and I can see they have like a knife in their hand. That produces less anxiety than me sitting in my my living room looking at you and my son and thinking, oh my gosh, my life is so beautiful. That caused me so much anxiety. I was uncomfortable. I felt I kept waiting for the bad thing to happen. So that took a lot of work with my therapist. And now I let it feel good. And what I mean by that is, um, when I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about how beautiful my life is, I make it specific in my mind. If I'm looking at my son, I'll talk to my son and just have him talk to me, sit next to me, hold his hand, we'll watch whatever he wants. and then I just let it feel good. And um it was almost like um uh, exposure therapy, you know, but with but with goodness
2: and with love, <laughs> that's beautiful. yeah, just like sitting with. The calmness or like sitting down with your son i imagine was like yeah an exposure therapy that took a bit by bit to get to just like being in the moment because i've that's what Corey and i've been through like i remember um but and like again i don't mean to make this about myself but because this is like an undocumented pride Podcast. I feel like it's really important that we we just talk about our voices. That we just like let everything out. Right? Yeah. So Corey and I have definitely been through those like discomforts where i've been really anxious the fact that we were just like watching movies non-stop on a weekend and like daca wasn't ending or things like that because like daca is like a novella sometimes it ends sometimes it restarts and (laughs) right now it's in its own other phase i know that Corey and i were talking about just like your creativity uh when we were especially when we were looking at trauma for sale because you put um your poems side by side to these really cool um like portraits that you drew um and the portraits if I could just like explain to the audience some of them are photographs um some of them are um like paintings uh, acrylic on canvas with glass and they're beautiful they're really beautiful how what is your creating process like like Did you imagine putting these poems next to portraits? Well, I never, I never thought I would
1: ever tell anyone that I used to be undocumented because I was undocumented and we do not. I personally was just deep in those shadows in the bushes on uh, deep in there. I did not want to be found out. I was terrified, scared every time I would uh, get on a bus that when I would see the sheriff's check for, for tickets that was so so frightening to me every single time just because I didn't know and I was scared every time I went to work I was scared every time I was at home walking back home I was scared um and with my paintings um they were never meant to be seen my poetry was never meant to be read so not a not a fairy tale and all of my paintings, they were never meant to be shared. So I wrote honestly and I wrote, you know, my what I what I was going through and um, some of the paintings that I included, like some of the ones that have glass, um, because um if I was, for example, drinking that day, um, you know, again, I had a lot of trauma and I would just try to take it out of me because it was so, so painful and overwhelming. I couldn't carry it. It would cause anxiety to a a point of a panic attack where I couldn't, it it just felt so intensely, um, the hurt. And I'm able to talk about it now. And even with, uh, you know, cracked voice or even while crying, but I can at least talk about it when before there was no way I would talk about it. Um, and some of these paintings were painted like that, uh, like the one the one where um, is in page, on page four, that's uh, 84, 2013. Um, that glass from the bottom is from a bottle that I was drinking that day. Um, I was drinking alcohol and I kept thinking, I'll never be anything. I'm a Jane Doe. I'm undocumented. I don't have any parents. I don't have anybody. If I die, no one will know who I am. So I kept, you know, thinking about these things. And the year 84 is the year I was born. The door is supposed to be the unknown, the opportunity, the hope. And I'm the key. Will I open or will I just give up and end my life? Because, um, you know, mental health problems and um, suicidality, like suicidal ideation has always been a problem for me, especially in my early years. Uh, Not anymore now because I have a recovery program, you know, my therapists and support groups and such. But back then I had no, no help. And so that's what that painting is. Me contemplating is life worth living when I have no one and nothing. Um, so again, these paintings were never meant to be shared. Uh, there's a lot of paintings, um, that, that have deep meaning. Uh, the one that's in page 210, um, that one's really, really intense. Um, I'll spare the people, um, the details on that, but that's when I was in a very, very dark space. Um, and that one, um, Again, that wasn't meant to be shared with anybody. Um, And I just, this point of this book was to leave the truth behind, which is I struggle. I'm not the exception. I can keep thriving and succeeding and don't be fooled by, you know, little certificates or little trophies that I get or my titles may change and don't be, you know, don't be deceived by that. I'm still a survivor. Um, I'm still a person who encountered a lot of trauma, even just from being undocumented and having to be silent, uh, when bosses would, you know, um, if you don't sleep with me, I'll fire you. If you don't work, uh, you know, 10 hours without any lunch, anything for less than minimum wage, I'll fire you. Um, you know, there's so much I can't even, uh, I can't even begin to explain the amounts of things. And I'm not the only one. I'm just speaking a little bit about it. Um, so yeah, that's what all those paintings are. So I, I don't know
0: how else to say it. None of them were meant to be seen. Because the work was intended to, it sounds like to really be something to express what you were going through. How did you get to the point where you felt like you were able to share something so personal and vulnerable with the rest of the world?
1: Because I thought I might die. Like some people, you know how everybody, I mean, obviously I'm an anxious person. The pandemic hit and I thought, oh my gosh, what am I leaving behind, right? Um, Among other worries, of course, I don't want to get into them. They're more personal, like such as family, et cetera, what happens to them. But just when it came to my work, just my work, I thought to myself, wow, if I die, I'm going to die um, like not completely genuine. I kept some things to myself and I said, I, I'll, I'll say this part, but when I'm ready and I, I felt like the choice was being taken away from me. You know, I, I, even though I wasn't 100% ready, I thought I might never get the opportunity. And that's why I put everything in there. Um, I did get sick, uh, in November. I'm still having complications on my chest and, um, you know, you know, I have asthma and and scar, uh, other complications with my respiratory system as a result of having COVID um, back in December, 2020, but I made it through and I get the opportunity to live. So this is not a complaint. It is um, very much an opportunity to live even with treatment. So um, I don't feel sorry for me at all. I feel very lucky. Um, But yeah, that's what that was. I thought, what if I die? So I was rushed and had no choice. I just thought what that my only choice was, will you leave it incomplete? And, and to me felt like a liar or will I tell my whole truth? Here, here it is. You might, and I thought, maybe I'll lose my career with this. Maybe it'll be too much and they'll think that as a mental health professional, maybe I shouldn't be sharing too much. These are all risks that I took, but I feel that uh, younger generations, and I'm so grateful to them, they've they've really taken, um, there's, I mean, I really admire that of the young people, um, the 20s, the teenagers. They're so, Open minded and willing to learn and questioning things that are so outdated and ridiculous that all of us have known are outdated and ridiculous, but they questioned it, and it's so beautiful to witness. I'm so proud of the younger generations for doing that, and I'm so grateful
2: because I benefit, I get to be free as well. Yeah, yes, Gen Z is definitely. I I did not imagine now, this is like a side note, but I joined TikTok and on tiktok it's such a like community of people that because corey's little brother is a tiktoker and they're just like they're they're so informed about the lgbtq community and all of the language in order to like heal and all all of the language to just like affirm themselves and their beliefs and i'm just like where was this when i was younger but other than like thinking that I'm just so proud that they have this language in this community. So yes, thinking about the the legacy that you're leaving behind and also like speaking for those voices and how they elevate you. It's, it's a, it's like a symbiotic process. I'm
1: telling you, my son knows so much and uh, he's even aware of his, you know, the benefits of his as far as I know his male, uh, gender and, and really his sex, um, the benefits that it comes and he tells me, mom, things are not fair for you and other mom. And, um, when I grow up, I'm going to have more power because we read to him and we do all, you know, he comes to, he used to come to you know rallies and things like that with us so he's very much aware we have open dialogue and conversation of course age appropriate but he told me i i have more power because i'm a man um i will help you and i said okay so it's it's just wonderful like i said i'm very proud of him and he's (laughs)
2: wow that's so great wow And you said he's um, like below the age of 10.
1: Yes, he's nine years old. Um, There's no pictures of him. Yeah, he's nine. He's been questioning. He got in trouble in kindergarten. I will not say what school and I will not say what teacher, but he got in trouble. (laughs) I think it was kinder or first. I don't remember which one, but I, I, I was I remember that was one of my proud moments with him. One of my first proud moments in school. Um he talked about Christopher Columbus day they were talking about that and he said I'm not going to um draw or write about that that man was mean he had he enslaved uh, the in, the indigenous people and so he's saying all this and I had a meeting with you know I I had a meeting I had to talk about I was like <gasps> Oh my gosh. And it has not stopped. And I will leave it at that, but I don't punish him. I am proud of him. I just tell him, don't disrespect anybody. And, um, I don't,
2: I'm so proud of him. You've been listening to influx collective, the podcast. The reason that we thought of the title, um, that we thought of the title of walking amongst the rubble is because as in documented poets, something that felt really unanimous was walking within the fire, walking in all of the, the tough situations that come at you. So I'm wondering, what does the title mean to you? What does Walking Amongst the Rubble mean to you?
1: Watching my community fall and burn with so many issues and plagues like you know, the drug epidemic and violence and just abuse, um, living in a country that might not be, um, that is not welcoming sometimes, um, having to exist and and, there, and then be stripped of dignity. And I say they because, and us really, because that's how it felt, um, you know, to be treated less than. Um, you know, stripped of your dignity. Um, When I was cleaning restrooms, it was never more apparent. Um, People looking down on me, people talking to me a certain way, uh, making certain comments. Um, You know, a lady dropped, I was in the middle of cleaning the bathroom and she said, can you get out and do this later? I need to use the restroom, get out. And, um, you know, just to talk to another human being like that and just over and over and over again. It really is dehumanizing. And it, maybe that's why it took me so long to build confidence. I mean, to be treated as a invisible, you know, lower class, um, lower class. And I don't mean socioeconomic. I mean, humanity wise. Um, that's walking, walk, watch, watching my community in a sense um, fall, And also thrive and, uh, you know, fight so hard. Um, And that's walking amongst it. Now I'm coming back and I'm still in it because I'm helping. I feel like I'm, I'm helping people build little ladders and get out. And then in turn, they help me build more ladders. And I always tell people when they say, thank you, thank you. I promise you that I'll do this or that. I always tell them, you owe me nothing. Just make sure that you look back and pull somebody else out.
0: I feel like there's just like a mic drop
2: every time you speak. I'm just like, yes, yes. Let this let this light shine. Let this light shine. Like like as we're like talking and this is a podcast, I'm like, how do I put visual like effects on this? Because like, <laughs> uh, there is so many things that I feel like are so necessary to hear as like uh, an undocumented person. And and now that we're older, we like, especially like through your book, I'm seeing that you have come to see the other side, but there is still people that are going through like the, the ongoing question of, will I be able to go to college? Will I be able to to go to work and such. And I think this book is, these books are so, so, so critical for those undocumented kids and teenagers that are wanting to understand their position in this country. <sighs> Thank you. It, yeah, and if I could keep affirming, like the faith that you had in yourself, it made off. It paid off because, like, you have these like testaments to how much you lived and survived. And I guess I could ask about your faith in yourself because, unfortunately, there are people out there who don't have faith in themselves because and sometimes it's not you know intentional sometimes it's because like their abusers or people that have been around them have not been able to like have just pushed down their voice so much that they're not able to hear their own voice so I'm I guess like one last question about like the creation of your poetry what would you say to those people what would you say to people that are having a hard time affirming their own voice Um, I wrote that message in the end of my book because it is important
1: and it is something that I try to say over and over again. And um, it's to those struggling with your own obstacles, I would like to say to you, you will survive, you will succeed, you will be loved, and you are worth fighting for. And those words are so powerful to me because it was like I was talking to my past self when I wrote it. That's where my mind was at. You will survive. The things I would constantly tell myself, just get up, just survive, just look forward, just keep walking. And though you have no reason to think this is going to happen, you're undocumented. You could have that degree, but you can't work it. You won't have anything. Just keep moving forward. You will succeed though at the moment it sounded delusional to me, you will be loved. I had no family, no friends, nothing. I had just gotten off the streets and I was trying to survive. I've lived all over from, uh, you know, from LA to, uh, to Maywe to, uh, To the city of Bell, to to the valley, to Northridge, to all over the valley, all over every. I've lived everywhere, Uh, mostly because when you're homeless, you just move around a lot. (laughs) But also, when I had uh, stable, you know, more stable housing, um, i I was just surviving, and I had no one. Once I met my wife, was the first time that I started to experience uh, what it felt like to be loved. Uh, to be loved and to let yourself be loved and not be afraid to love back. They taught me how to love my son and my wife and they taught me how to be loved because I didn't know how to do that either. Um, That's where you will be loved and you are worth fighting for. Meaning if I had no one, was no one, if I would have died in the streets, I would have been a Jane Doe My fingerprints did not exist here. Obviously, I wasn't documented. So who was I? to, To who? I was nothing to anyone. But I was worth fighting for. I fought for myself. That's where those words are. Because that's the number one thing that would go through my mind. Are you worth it? You are nothing. You are no one. You don't even exist. And that got me through those words. And anyone who is doubting that they can rise from wherever they're at, I came from literally the bottom with nothing. I have memories of me drinking water from somebody's front yard through their hose because I was homeless and that was the closest place and I was so thirsty. I didn't have my documents. I wasn't (laughs) documented. I was a minor, I was an addict, Um, as a survivor of so much trauma, fighting my mind and my body has been to this, to date, the most challenging thing I've ever had to do. Not that, just, and if I can do this much, they can surpass my accomplishments. They just need to pull forward. And if they think that they can't do it, I'm telling them that they can do it. They can they say that you only need one person to believe in you, then let me be that person, because I
2: really believe that. Again, thank you, thank you so much. Yes, the, the experience, your life experience that you're just putting out there, I know it'll be really valuable to a lot of undocumented um, and queer kids, teens.
1: I didn't even talk too much about my queerness. I think that I just got caught up in the undocumented thing. But that is why I was homeless because my mother kicked me out when I
2: came out to her. It's the whole reason I was out there. Yes, mothers can be so complicated sometimes. um, And you definitely talk about that in your poetry. And I I thought that was really brave because. It's you know talking about those relationships that you reckon with, um, whether they be family relationships or uh, personal relationships or friends. Like you went really into your own um, like heart and just like try to like work it all out and see everyone from a very complex standpoint, but very much like see your worth and that was really valuable as well. So as a poet, what do you see yourself writing in the future? Hopefully more of
1: my healing of uh, wounds that are a little deeper and hopefully (sighs) good news. (laughs) Hopefully my community healing and rising. um, Hopefully the world healing a little bit more. Um, just good news. Um, you know, I, I write a lot of times what I see and and I do it through a personal lens. So I always talk about me in relation to the world, you know, and I use me as the, 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 um, the lens of of where everything where I'm seeing everything through my eyes and some of the pieces I'll read you today are about just that some of the issues I've seen and uh, how they affected me personally it's not just my opinion and I think and they should and I don't write like that it's more of me how does this affect me how does this affect my people how does this affect um, all this and this is the feeling behind your statements (laughs) Childhood Arrival, 2019. Hiding for so many years made a liar out of me. Lies out of necessity. Terrified that someone might notice me. Four-year-old immigrant, I did not choose this. They chose for me. Upon arrival, a new fear was born. Nightmares of being ripped away from yet another home. In time, I did not dream in Spanish anymore. My language, a tongue twisted mix of hood Spanish and school English. Messed up language. Little gay girl who feels like a boy. As if I needed another reason, a question, the very essence of my soul. As if I needed another identity crisis at six years old. After so much hurt and struggle, I am not hiding anymore. I am not a liar. Truth pours out of me verbally, lyrically, my poetry. Stories from the lips of an immigrant. I am one of millions. Truth from the shadows. Not a criminal childhood arrival. Our stories of survival. Yes.
2: Yeah, I feel empowered as fuck your faith to just like put out there all of what you feel and all of its complexity is so great like it's so I just feel like um yeah you have so much power and like so much light that you have to share so thank you thank you thank you thank you um from the bottom of my heart really I really appreciate this book
0: Thank you so much. It was wow. Hearing you read these poems, too. It was it brought a whole another layer that was just it it was beautiful. Thank you for sharing your work with us.
1: Absolutely. Thank you both for having me here and um, allowing me the opportunity to not just not just share my story, but share my truth and live my life um, genuinely. That feels really good. And I will never be a prisoner again.
0: And last but not least, I, I wanted to see if um, just I could ask you just like a question basically to, to promo yourself um, so uh, can can basically can you tell us where uh, folks can can find you where they can buy your work how, how can um, readers support you um, you
1: can find all my work on Amazon if you just google my name Roxana Prestiado um, you can also just uh, go to my main website Roxana Preciado authorcom um, so just my name author.com um, there I have more of the work that I do if To those listening, if you cannot afford my book, um, you send me a message and I will send you the digital copy for free of whichever book that you'd like. Um, This isn't my job. My job is mental health, and that is how I pay my bills. These books are meant as a tool uh, to facilitate um, me helping my community and others like me. Um, So if you want them, you can have them. So thank you all for helping me.
0: Thank you for listening to Influx Collective, the podcast, walking amongst the rubble, undocu-queer pride. To get updates on our upcoming episodes, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or join our email list at influxcollective.org.